0: Apple always had the prettier operating system. Windows became the behemoth, the one that offices and homes used all over the world. And today it looks simple. But the problems that Windows had to contend with early on were things that we don't believe are problems today. But at the time, for a world that was not used to computing terminology or any of the design icons and processes that we take for granted today, it was literally learning the computing alphabet. The first post in today's episode. Windows 95 was a massive UX project. Before Windows 95 was launched, the earlier versions, Windows 2 and 3, already had a base of over 50 million users. Back in the early 90s, that was huge. And the worry was that a complete change would help some users but make it worse for millions. Finding what people would wrestle with was the problem. Today we look at files and folders and they seem so basic, it's hard to believe that people needed to be told how to navigate from one to the other. The two-pane view confused people because they could not understand how folders could exist within other folders. That's why the difference between files and cabinets in the real world breaks down. Hierarchy was unknown, so the concept of drilling down to the level of the file took several iterations for people to understand. The drag and drop which we use almost without thinking today was hard to teach. People had to click, hold and drag one icon into another one. Today, it looks laughably simple. But the first ever interaction of holding the mouse and controlling the cursor took a couple of sessions. Hand-eye coordination and discovering the speed at which the cursor would move was comical to begin with. Today, we think nothing of swiping between screens, zipping up files and attaching them to emails. But back then, it was like UX 101. The start button, the find icon and the help icon all had callouts when the mouse moved over them. It was that basic. From the early days of computing to evolved brands and how they maintain the aura or how it can crack. The ads ooze luxury. The showrooms look futuristic, but the salespeople fall short. It's the nightmare of brand managers. Several aspects of the brand experience cannot be controlled beyond a point. The more expensive a product, the higher the expectations are. In a sense, the online experience is confined to what customers see on the website. How smoothly the transaction proceeds from payment to delivery defines the brand experience for most customers. None of us know what Amazon looks like. It's confined to the website and the package that arrives on the doorstep. But Bose is different. They retail high-end audio speakers and have built an image of exclusivity. This is an actual experience from a customer, someone I know who has a taste for good music and is particular about what he plays it on. A few years ago, he said, the salesmen were approachable, knowledgeable and new the product line down to the subtle differences, which recreates the aura around the brand and keeps it on a pedestal. Recently, he walked in to buy another product from Bose he had checked out online. The salespeople had only a cursory interest and practically no knowledge about the differences between one speaker lineup and the other one. Worse, one of them tried to foist what he thought would be the best one. This is how brand images are destroyed at the last point in the chain where conversion should happen. Instead, a lack of product training and uninterested salespeople dealing with customers completely devalues brand perceptions. And finally, to wrap this episode, the crunch that is heard across India at mealtimes. Mealtime Special Effects it's roasted over a flame directly and ready to eat in a few seconds, or swells when deep-fried in oil. But the varieties and the recipes of the simple dried-in-the-sun lunch and dinner accompaniment are culinary art. It's still a small-scale industry because it has not yielded to mechanization. The dried-in-the-sun papad retains some moisture and that is essential. The sun does its magic when each puppet is put out to dry in hot sunlight and returned each day a little drier than the previous one. Since the market for puppets in India is huge, it provides employment to millions of women who are engaged in making the dough, flattening it, drying it and packaging it. The large puppet brands are essentially aggregators who have built a deep distribution chain. But the varieties of the Indian papad and their consumption varies by states which are a few hundred kilometers apart. The Kerala papadam swells when deep-fried and is light and flaky. The Tamil Nadu appalam, from the neighboring state stays flat and usually comes in much larger sizes. The dough that goes into making papads is also according to the spices and the food influences of the region. Lijyak, Made by a cooperative organization of women, is one of the biggest brands in the country, and they make 14 varieties for the different regions they cater to. The collective crunch of papad's cracking is the sound effect you'll hear at meal times in homes across the country every day. Every week, I'll plant a few ideas in your mind on branding, behavior, and markets. Triggers for your thoughts. Spread the word to your friends. All you have to do is click the link and enter an email address. And yes, I'll welcome your thoughts, your views and anything that you have to say about these posts and how they can be improved. As always, thank you for listening.